Hi, this is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is Overdue. Where friends and colleagues, librarians, librarians, and each episode we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Good morning, Christy. How are you doing? Good morning, April. I'm really good today. Good. It's nice out. It's going to be a great day, and I'm super happy to be recording our episode because it's been a while. We had a nice little summer break. It has. And I'm also super happy and excited to thank our new Patreon supporters. We now have four, <laughs> which really makes a huge difference. So that's why I wanted to bring it up, though. That's like um, really helpful for us to, as we've mentioned before, keep our podcast uh, ad free, keep it accessible. We can put out transcripts for each episode. And right now we're using a new recording platform, um, which is going to make sound and editing better. So it all um, just helps make the podcast better better for everyone. And there are two ways that you can support us, uh, Patreon or Coffee, Ko-Fi, <laughs> and we link to them on our, we're always going to say it that way. Yes. Um, <laughs> we link to them. Uh, I think the easiest way is just to go to our Instagram at this pod is overdue. Um, we also just did a giveaway. So it's great to follow us there for like everything that's being updated and you can get to our website from there. Uh, but also again, we always say a great way to support us without any uh, money is to follow us, like the podcast wherever you listen to it, subscribe, tell friends about it, and that just helps us um, grow and get more listeners, and we really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, it's all about sustainability because we, we don't really have any um, – thoughts that will become famous with this. We just want to keep doing it because it's Who fun. knows? We so, oh, well, okay. So maybe April has a plan, but we really just want to be able to keep doing this. And so support really helps us maintain it. Right. And if you like it, yeah, that's, we want to keep it going. And don't forget, you can actually also go to our website on PodPage, which is podpage.com slash this podcast is overdue with hyphens between each word which I'm not going to say out loud because I've done it before and it sounds weird when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound weird. But if you want to get to our um, our website, which is where our show notes are too, so it's a good place to go when you want to find out more about what we've talked about, um, you can always get there through Instagram too. So do you want to start us off, Christy, with uh, with what book you've been reading? Sure, sure. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this one. It's made me incredibly happy as I've read it. Um, so I'm going to talk today about Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd. And it is, I think you'd say middle grade, middle school age book. Um, Natalie Lloyd is an author who's written a number of children's books. People may know some of them. Uh, she wrote A Snicker of Magic. Uh, the Key to Extraordinary and Over the Moon. Um, she also has a series that I'm going to forget right now because I don't have it pulled up right um, now. Oh, wait, I will get it. Um, uh, the Problem Children. Um, and it's she has three books in that series. And all of her books, I was thinking about this the other day, but all of her books speak to uh, finding out who you are and where you fit in the world. Um, but all of them also have magic in them. And now, you know, Snicker of Magic, it has it in the title, you know, magic is going to be in it. But even the stories that seem very realistic, there's just magic in the world. And it, they leave the reader wondering whether, you know, like, how and why. And I love that about her writing. And Hummingbird is no different. So this one is the story of Olive. She is in fifth grade um, and middle schooler, but she's been homeschooled her whole life, um, mostly because she has osteogenesis imperfecta, which is a disorder that makes her bones be more brittle. They call it brittle bone disease. And so if she falls, um, she breaks a bone right away. And she's broken so many bones over her life that at this point, she's in a wheelchair primarily to keep from falling. And so she but she really desperately wants to go to middle school. She thinks middle school is the place that is going to be the answer to all of her dreams and all of wow. her wishes. I know, right? <laughs> Sometimes the opposite. Um, but well, yeah. but, 
even homeschooled and she real her entire mm-hmm. world is her her mom, her dad, her stepdad, her uncle and her pet pelican um that comes to the window her window um in her room and she wants a best friend. She's that's just all she wants in the world. And so uh, she does convince her parents to let her go to middle school. Um, she'll be in the same class as her stepbrother, who is this enigma. Uh, he doesn't really speak to her at all. And so now she's in his space and she's going to learn a little bit more about her him. Um, but then right after she starts at middle school, something strange starts happening in their town. And it's she's in Tennessee. And um, it's I think it's spring. I forget what season it is, but it is not winter and things start falling from the sky that look like snow, but might be feathers. And there's a legend about a hummingbird that is going to show up in somewhere on the blue moon and grant a wish. And so now Olive wants to find the hummingbird so she can have her wish. And I just, oh my gosh, I've been taking so many pictures of of pages inside and sending Mm -hmm. them to people or posting them on Instagram because there are just so many lovely little nuggets. Uh, Natalie Lloyd's writing is just lyrical and, and funny and Olive's personality really shines through. The voice is just fabulous. And I think a lot of the, um, the reality that, you know, making Olive's voice so real, it comes from the fact that Natalie Lloyd also has osteogenesis imperfecta. Oh, okay. Which I didn't know um, until we went, I was at the American Library Association conference in June and I went to a luncheon and Natalie Lloyd was one of the speakers and she oh, talked cool. about the writing of this book and the reason behind it. Or part of the reason behind it that um, having a character in a book who's in a wheelchair who has a disability, but that is not really the driving force of the story. It just ha- happens to be part of the story because it's part of her world and how important that was. And you know, if she had been a kid and seen somebody like her in a book or on TV, that how amazing it would be. And so, you know, Olive's disability does play a role in the story because it does in her life, you know, whether or not there's a ramp to the stage at school um, and how can she get to a particular place in town or can she get through the forest uh, in her wheelchair? All of those play a role, but it's not the only part of her that, you know, being fragile is part of her, but it's not all of her. And so I think it really comes through and is so well-written and so many amazing magical characters. There's a sloth. Oh, Oh my gosh. And the school librarian. Ah, yes. The school librarian is just fantastic. And I, yeah, there's so many amazing things and I just am bubbling over with excitement for this book and I hope everybody picks it up. It is already out and it came out in May. Uh, So Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd. Excellent. Well, I loved A Snicker of Magic. I remember just really falling in love with that book and part of it was the language that was used um just so original and yeah magical which you do expect with that name yeah but when you talk about language like one of the things that just popped to mind is that olive describes that feeling when you get really excited and happy inside as a joy kaboom oh i love that (laughs) you're like yes i have so many joy kabooms over hummingbird Oh, that's awesome. Well, and I've definitely been in search of a good uh, middle grade book because I just haven't come across very many. It's either like very young, you know, I'm reading picture books or young adult or adult. And so I'll definitely add that to my list. Thank you. You're welcome. And what are you reading? Well, when I was on vacation, I read, uh, it's an adult book, Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And it was really good. (laughs) Um, I actually, uh, Julia Armfield is a British author and I read about it in People Magazine. So this is my guilty pleasure. (laughs) I like People Magazine. When I go to the beach, I, I I have like these rituals. So if I I'm flying on a plane. I grab a People magazine at Hudson News. If I'm going to the beach, I like to grab a People magazine on the way there. Yeah. So anyway, just re- and if you read the reviews in People magazine, they are about the size of a quarter. Like it's like three sentences. But I was really intrigued by the premise of this book. 
Um, and it's written in alternating chapters between Miri and her wife, Leah. Uh, although Leah's chapters are actually her journal writings from when she was on a submarine research trip. So she's a marine biologist. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she, well, cool at first, but then she goes, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, she's on this expedition that's supposed to last three weeks, but she's gone for six months and Mary, you know, begins to think that she may have died. Um, there are two other crew members on the submarine and yeah, it's just very, very mysterious and very intriguing. Did they go to the Bermuda Triangle? No, they did not. But And you do learn more as the story goes on, but I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. But the thing is that when the way um, it was presented in the blurb I read was that when Miri returns, she's kind of transformed. So not just her personality, but there's she's having physical changes and like, she really just wants to be in the bath all the time. And that's oh really freaking Miri out. Like she yeah. just wants to be in water all the time. She doesn't really want to eat, but she'll drink salt water. And Miri's really trying to get her not to do that because that's dangerous. But eventually she kind of like gives up. I wish everybody could like, see the look on my face right now. <laughs> was a little shocked. Um, so, and then Miri's chapters are all, like sort of present day, what's going on now and how she's dealing with everything. But then there's a lot of flashbacks too. So you learn more about the the two women and their relationship, you know, how they met and things like that. And sort of going back to what you're saying about um, Hummingbird and the main character having a disability, but it's not like, it's just part of our life, but it's not like the main premise of the book. That's one of the things that... Um, interested me about this book too was like a lesbian couple that that's just like the kind of couple they happen to be you just I don't get exposed to a lot of books like that I mean maybe partly because I do read on the younger side but because when you have a book about gender identity or sexuality with like a YA book a lot of times it's about that right because the yeah. characters are exploring that or maybe something negative is happening that they're trying to like overcome in that area but this was just great it's just cool and refreshing like this couple just happens to be a gay couple but it does come up because it comes up in their life like you know Miri gets hit on by men or you know comments made by parents or you know just things things that they did have to deal with as a couple um so it felt very you know authentic and mm -hmm but also very um, modern, right? Like I don't always want to read about straight couples. <laughs> you know, I live in this world. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm married to a man, but that's not the thing that is on the top of my mind every single moment of my day. Right. Yeah. And I want to read about characters that have all different kinds of lives that are not necessarily mine. Um, so anyway, I also thought this was just a very interesting way to tell a story, like to have, because that's one thing I didn't realize before picking it up was the alternating chapters. And I didn't really even get that this was um, Leah's diary until kind of partway through. Um, so yeah, very mysterious, very intriguing. It's kind of a slow burn. Like don't read this expecting like a thriller. Um, but, but that's also part of the beauty of it. It's really beautifully written. I also was doing that thing of taking pictures um, <laughs> of passages and highlighting them um, mainly for myself, just some like really thoughtful um, passages or quotes. Um, I had read one blurb. I think maybe it might even been on the back of the book. I don't remember that referred to the book as funny, but it's not. I found that very strange. And then there were like a couple like reviews that mentioned humor there's like a wry humor to some of it but it's not a funny book so don't read this thinking like you're getting humor um it's really sad and beautiful at the same time and actually um the carcass reviews that the bleakest horror story can also be a love story and again that's what drew me to it i did also see it i think again the the people blurb referred to it as a romance but again not your typical or stereotypical, I should say, romance. It's it, it is romantic because it, it does explore the history of their relationship. And then what what does a couple do when one of them is 
has changed mm-hmm. and is continuing to change and, and really doesn't have control over that. Um, and also, and you would like this too about it. Um, I actually learned a lot about marine science oh, <laughs> because awesome. yeah, like Leah's chapters, but also like some of the flashbacks, um, you know, she talks about different aspects of the work that she's doing and the, um, the parts of the book are labeled by the layers of the ocean. Oh, wow. Um, and it kind of explains the names. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's really cool. And it was actually kind of fun to read it while I was at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go drink any ocean water? <laughs> yeah, I tried to avoid that <laughs> as much as possible. It's just, yeah, very cool. And it's very unique in a lot of ways. So if you haven't heard of it, I highly recommend it. I hadn't. Thank you. So would you like to introduce our question for Ask Us Anything? So the question... For this episode is, what do you think about quiet quitting? Interesting. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I did actual loud quitting. (laughs) (laughs) I got a joke. I don't know. It wasn't actually very loud. I just did quitting. Um, So at first I was kind of like, I don't know. Am I the best person to ask about this? And I guess I would start by explaining what I think quiet quitting is the way, mm-hmm. you know, the, I first heard of it is basically this idea of scaling back your, what you do for work so that you don't have to quit, you know, so you get to a point where you don't feel like you need to quit your job to stay sane, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that you can kind of scale back. Um, I've heard it referred to like not going above and beyond and not, not, you know, doing sort of these like really, um, I was going to say exceptional things, but I would say more like unacceptable uh, things at work that prohibit you from having a life outside of work or if it's adding stress to your work uh, or even your personal life. And so I'm definitely an advocate of that. <laughs> like I definitely I advocate for people to not and I don't know if above and beyond is the right phrase, but to not do things that hurt you professionally or personally, um, because you can also have burnout and that's going to hurt you. Well, that will hurt you both ways. But I tend not to like work-life balance as a term either. It's really more about boundaries. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Being empowered to say no to things, you know, again, that that are not going to serve you. And yeah, sometimes it is professional too, in that you're being asked to do things, but you're not getting a raise, you're not getting Mm -hmm. a promotion, you're not gaining any respect, or even any sort of um, uh, negotiation of like, okay, I'll do this, but then do I get time off? Or if I do this, you know, what's the benefit, another benefit to me down the road, not just um, accolades. Um, but I'm also not a fan of sort of leaving innocent coworkers or the people that you serve kind of high and dry because you've decided to check out and quiet quit. And now you're not going to like fill in for a coworker. And I've worked with people like this yeah. who, you know, before this term was ever coined, and I don't know if that's what was going on in their heads mentally, but, you know, people who do the least, you know, either expected or allowed um, who won't help out in the children's room because they don't like kids or whatever, you know, yeah, honestly, yeah. I wouldn't maybe want someone like that <laughs> in my children's <laughs> department, but you know what I mean? Like I've been places where, you know, people are very much like adhering strictly to their job description and they don't make great coworkers. They don't make great people who serve the public. I don't really, I wouldn't want to be a student of a teacher who has quiet quit if it affects how they present in the classroom and how they treat people. So that kind of thing, I think it's different. If you're, if I feel like um, if you're doing this or you're feeling the need to do this, maybe it's just time to quit and for your own self and also for, you know, the organization that you're at. And so I'll be honest and say that for me, when I left MLS, it wasn't just for me. I wasn't serving the organization well, I think, in my mind, because because I was not happy there and I did not want to move forward there, then I shouldn't be there 
And I do get not, I left without a job lined up. Not everyone can do that. So I have heard of that too. Quiet quitting is until you get another job. Yeah. You know, and fair enough. Like sometimes you need to move on. And if you don't have something lined up, you kind of, you do take a step back. And I think, I think that's okay. I'm not a fan of like vocational awe. (laughs) I am not a fan of, of like stretching yourself thin um, without any kind of compensation or benefit to you. I think you definitely need to have balance and boundaries. Otherwise, you're unhappy and everyone else around you is unhappy too. Absolutely. I think it's this whole conversation has been really interesting. And um, I the, the term itself, quiet quitting, is definitely from the employer's viewpoint, I think, mm-hmm. even though you've kind of talking about it from a, a, an employee's viewpoint. But that it has this negative connotation for something that I think is really just creating boundaries. And it's so capitalistic. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really dislike the term. Um, I know I've, I've read a couple of things where people in the education landscape say, well, we've been doing this forever. It's called work to rule. You know, teachers often are put in a position either with like a contract negotiation or something else where they're not going above and beyond. They work to rule. They just they go work their their um, contracted hours. They're not doing staying after school to help kids. They're not doing extra um, extracurricular activities. And that's called work to rule. Um, but even that is sad because it means that the teachers aren't getting compensated for the extra stuff that they do all the time. Right. And, you know, and so it all comes back to the, this cultural expectation that you are expected to work certain hours, you're given a pay for those hours, but then you're really also expected to do more. Yes. Like as a culture, that's, that's it. And I think this conversation about quiet quitting and the fact that it's become such a big, um, you know, buzzword in the zeitgeist is that we as a culture are pushing back on that, that we as workers are saying, no, I would like to work and leave work at work and then go home and have a life and have a life where I can enjoy my family. I can enjoy my hobbies and I don't have to cut into all of that in order to keep my job, in order to make a living wage. Uh, and so as a term, it really kind of frustrates me. Um, I don't like it either. Yeah, I, don't, I'm, I do feel like it's got a very negative connotation and that it's not taking into account some of the things that people are asked to do that really is inappropriate. And I'll give a little example. And I, I would say too, that this is, I don't think, it, you know, it's not a coincidence that this is coming on the heels of the pandemic and yes. the great resignation when we had people coming to us uh, when we were both at MLS telling us things like I'm being told that I need to paint the interior of the library because there's nothing else that I can do uh, at my workplace during the lockdown. Right. <laughs> and that is patently untrue. There was plenty that people could do from home or in other safe settings. Um, that example to me, it's not necessarily the most dangerous that I heard. I heard far worse in terms of um, personal safety, but it's just one of the more outrageous, inappropriate things. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I painted the inside of my house. It's, it's not like, you know, I'm against interior painting, but that is not what the job is. And it's not taking into account the employee's skills and, you know, their education, what the job is that they signed up for. It's just a like blatant, you know, uh, basically saying you have to do what we say because we're the bosses. Yeah. And this was the town. This wasn't like their library director. But it was the expectation, right? Right. And when I worked in the corporate world, it, it wasn't necessarily explicitly stated, but I was expected to answer emails at all hours to drop everything mm-hmm. and work on something that was due the next day, even if I only had a day's notice. And it was because, well, your salary... So that means you work anytime and all the time and all the time. And that's the expectation. And, and it goes also into, you know, uh, evaluation rating scales. 
where, you know, on a scale of one to five, where five is the best, three is doing your job. In order to get a an exceptional score, you had to go above and beyond and do more. And even, you know, I, I don't see that as much in my current role, though, but a little bit that in order to like get the, the highest score, the score that's going to get me a good raise mm-hmm. means that I have to do more than my job description. Yeah. And that's wrong. Yeah. That is what happens all over. The highest score you should get should be doing your job. Did all the parts of your job and you did them well. <laughs> and, and yeah. And again, and sure, there are going to be times like people do go above and beyond, but it should be because you want to, and you have the capacity to do so. And it, again, something that's serving you and, and the community that you, that you work for, not because a boss or an organization is saying you have to, um, you know, that you could be fired if you don't, or you won't get promoted, right. you know, that there will be consequences if you don't. I was say, I feel uh, like a lot of our listeners probably are struggling with some of this as well. And um, so even, you know, we talk, tend to ask questions about books or libraries, but I think that this is super relevant right now. Um, and just know we, we're telling y'all, you can have boundaries. That's right. If you're struggling with some boundaries and burnout, maybe find areas where you could sort of say, I'm not, I'm not buying into this anymore. This, if I eliminate this or don't volunteer for this, then that maybe will help me a little bit. And that's kind of like my big thought on it was instead of quiet quitting, is there someone you can talk to and not necessarily like someone that you work for, but is there anyone that you can talk to to help you make the situation better? If you have a good relationship with your boss and you think they'd be open to it, you know, talk to them about these expectations and demands. They're probably feeling them themselves or, you know, some of your coworkers and make a plan. Like you could, you don't have to like go through it alone either, or it could be a friend or, you know, another colleague to sort of like, let's figure out stuff we're going to say no to. And that could also help you actually do it because you have a friend to help you be accountable. Yeah. I'll tell you two things that I've done since leaving corporate land um, and then also here in this job is um, one, I there's an app that I could put on my cell phone to connect to my work phone and I will not do it. I am not connecting my personal phone to my work phone. You know, I, I don't need to get phone calls for work over the weekend. It's not happening. And then also my work email on my phone, the app is not on the front page. I have to kind of be intentional about looking for email. So I have to swipe a few times to get to the the page that it's on. And so I I did that to discourage myself from checking that email uh, when it's not work hours. You know, I, I have it there primarily so that on days where I need to take a kid to an appointment in the middle of the day, I can still check work email and continue working, but it's not there so that I can check email at 10 o'clock at night or on a Sunday. So two little things, um, I guess, to some people that would fall under the concept of quiet quitting, but really I think about it as boundaries. Absolutely. And I was nodding vigorously while you were mentioning (laughs) those two things. I did the exact same thing. Um, And I think that those are two great ideas, great possibilities. Thank you. Thank you. And we'd love to hear from you too. If you're, if you're quiet quitting right now, if you're contemplating it, do you have thoughts about it? Um, Or what other questions do you have for us? Again, you can find us at this pod is overdue on Instagram. Or you can email us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Christy, what have you been learning about? Oh, I'm so excited. So as you may know, I know April knows, but as our listeners might know, uh, we get books sent to our office on a regular basis. Sometimes I know what books are coming because publishers will send us a list of, hey, which books do you want to see ahead of time? And we fill out the list and they send us those books. But sometimes publishers just send us books. And a couple weeks ago, um, a we got a, a box of books from MIT Teen Press, which 
I think is the most interesting thing, and it's an imprint of Candlewick Press. They're one of our local publishers. And um, this press is science books for older kids and teens. And the one that um, that I picked up and that I read and that I'm like still thinking about constantly is the Hanmoji Handbook. And I know, yes, this is a sneaky way of me talking about two books, but I promise it's actually learning. So the um, this book is by Jason Lee, Anjou Mina, and Jennifer Aitley. And it is um, basically li- logographic linguistics. Interesting. Do you know what that is? I'm trying to guess inside okay. my head. Yes. So <laughs> logographic languages are um, languages in which the written system are concepts and not syllabic or pronunciation. So English is not logographic because we have an alphabet. We're an alphabetic language. And so the letters in our alphabet are used to put together to make words. And those words then have meaning. But the words themselves, when we see them on the page, have like they don't represent an idea other than the through the language. Logographic languages are like hieroglyphics or written Chinese. And so this book specifically is about written Chinese, but it uses emojis to explain the concepts. Like this thing is mind blowing and super, super cool. Um, And I say that especially that I have zero knowledge of Chinese as a language, but I'm very fascinated with linguistics in general. And so it goes through discussing what uh, the book talks about, what a logographic language is, gives some examples, talks about the differences between traditional and simplified Chinese characters, but then breaks down um, the many of the characters. So one of the early ones is takes the, um, the character for wood, which kind of looks like a tree. And then if you put two of them together, it, you get forest? the Chinese word for forest. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so then it also then shows you what that would look like with emojis and talks about then the development of the emoji keyboards and how those have been integrated into language um, through social media and texting. And very cool. Then also has like some specific specific vocabulary. And it's just so fascinating. And I've learned so much. I haven't finished the book yet. Um, I have had it on my my desk for a little while and I flip through it here and there. But like um, there's another one where they talk about elements and then combining elements. So they show the, the logo, the, the um, symbol for fire and you have two of them. It actually is inflammation. Or like oh, pain. Yeah. And then if you do multiple ones, it's flames. And so I will show you um, what you, April, what it looks like in the book. But I'll show some um, examples to in our uh, on our Instagram account, too, because it really is fantastic. So if you have a chance to, to pick this up or, if you know, if you're learning Chinese and finding it challenging or you're just interested in linguistics and you're interested in emojis and the technology of it, this is such a fascinating look. And I've never seen anything like it before. Um, and so I just was really, really excited to, to share. I really want to check that out because I do love linguistics. That was like one of my favorite courses in college. I wish I had stuck with it. I think that sounds yeah. so interesting. And there's tons of history in here too. And it's it just so, so well done. And what have you learned, April? So uh, a few weeks ago, I went to a friend's house for an art date that she put together. Oh, it was fun. really fun. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, we both worked together at the stationery store. And she just has this awesome collection of like, she had like all this collage stuff and paints and markers. And we just were kind of going to hang out and do art. But she introduced me to this technique called neurographic art. And I kind of explored a little bit of it later, but it was created by a Russian psychologist. And the idea is that it frees your mind up to explore issues or solve problems that you're having. So that's kind of a way to use it very intentionally. Um, We just kind of had fun with it (laughs) because it's very relaxing. Like I found it very relaxing way to create. A lot of times I'm more about the process than the product. Like I like to use the stuff and just have fun with it. And I don't really end up with anything like that I'd want to frame. Um, So it's really kind of nice for that. I didn't really think about a, a particular problem I'm having, but I will put in our show notes, 
I'd come across a video and a blog post by two different art teachers that use this um, or have taught it that I thought were were interesting. But also it's just nice to not have that pressure, right? You're not necessarily drawing a thing. You're really kind of scribbling. So basically you're doing like these free form lines. They can go all over the page and can even go off of the page. And then you kind of take your pen. And that's the other thing I like about it. You only need like a pen or marker and paper. And you, you know, go back with your pen and kind of round the areas where it intersects. And I'll show you, Christy, uh, some of what I did, but we can also put it on our Instagram so people can see. But it kind of gives it this like bubbly look. And it it does kind of look like, like when you've seen um, images of like neurons, right? And like parts of like the brain kind of very uh, wavy, a little bit chaotic. <laughs> um, and you can color in if you want, you know, and if you have the supplies, you can do watercolor, colored pencil, whatever you have. And we did it both ways. So the first time we did our the lines and then we colored them in. Um, that to me felt a little bit too much actually like coloring, which I do enjoy, but didn't feel as like art. Yeah. And or as free flowing meditative as the other way. So we did do it where we like put watercolor down on paper and then went over with markers. I also used like a white gel pen on it. So just to point out like, interesting, you know, there is a technique to it, but as with all art, you can break the rules (laughs) and just sort of like experiment and, and have fun with it. But yeah, I, I've talked about before on the show, um, a love of mine is lo-fi girl, the, um, the music channel I like to listen to. And like, I put that on, do some of this. It's really takes like no time. Like I said, hardly any supplies and just kind of like get into this meditative mode. But also I'll say it was really fun to do this with a friend and like we were chatting while we were doing it. And then a couple weeks later, I introduced it to one of my friends while I was on vacation and she had come over and we did it together. And I think it would make actually a great library program or like if you are in a school, this would be a perfect activity because, you know, you don't need a lot of supplies. You don't need to spend a lot of money. You don't even really need to do a lot of instruction, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can add, you know, you can add information even about why it's neurographic and that whole idea of how it's supposed to free up your mind to concentrate on maybe like a problem you're trying to solve or an issue you're working through. Um, and sort of like how art and the brain interact. We could have fun with that. And you could do it in person. You could do it virtual. So easy. Oh, wait, should I show you? Well, I was going to say, I feel like I need to try it because the idea that there's no structure kind of stresses me out. Oh, that's gorgeous. Thanks. Wow. So here's one where I put down like different shades of blue. I'm describing my picture to Christy. Yeah. And then I went over, actually, it was like a paint pen because I liked a thick, bold line. Um, this little guy is like one of the first ones oh, I did. Oh, it's so beautiful. Thanks. I put a, it's like a rainbow gradient. I put a um, picture of a butterfly on it. Yeah, see, that really does look like art. I was thinking when you were describing it, I was thinking of my doodles, which sometimes almost stress me out if I'm not perfect enough. Mm-hmm. I'm agreeing with this. <laughs> I, I, I keep notebooks that are, I use graph paper notebooks because I like to be able to have that structure. And I was doing doodling during um, a meeting, but the lines weren't perfect. And I was getting more anxious than I should have been during the meeting. Um, But I love what you have, because it really does, it looks like art. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like the same kind of movement as doodling. To me, you know, I'm moving my hand in the same way. I'm feeling very... um, like I'm getting that energy out because I'm a big doodler also, but I, I <laughs> don't laugh at me. But, <laughs> but I also like I was watching this YouTube. This is kind of an aside, but I was watching this YouTube video about um, drawing mushrooms and I love mushrooms and I sometimes doodle mushrooms, but these were like different types. But I was getting frustrated because I felt like even though it wasn't even supposed to be fancy illustration they weren't coming out great and you you don't have any of that with neurographic art like you can't mess it up um I mean I do I made a bunch I have a bunch more things that I made some I like better than others but 
I like all of them, you know, and I had fun doing all of them and I felt good while doing all of them. And I love that you have them in a notebook. Yeah, I glued them in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, one I did on the page uh, because this particular notebook can handle watercolor and then the rest I glued in kind of because I do tend to do this thing too where like I make stuff and then I don't know what to do with it and I just kind of like usually toss it. But if I just stick it in there, it's like my little refrigerator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Thanks. Yeah, it's super fun. I would totally encourage people to give it a try. And like I said, make a great makes a great program or family activity. I think it's fascinating that we both chose something with graphic in the name. That is interesting. Yeah. Neurographic and logographic. Yeah, very cool. Well, how about what you've been loving lately? Oh my goodness. I love my headphones. Not these that I'm wearing. Okay. So I splurged. I This year I did a bunch of freelance kind of work uh, and extra work and had these paychecks come in. And normally I just have them go into our checking account and I don't do anything for myself with them. But I've been really stressed out about the noises my family makes. And so I, um, I, I did splurge and I bought a set of noise canceling headphones. I did buy Beats, not because of the brand, but because of the wire cutter review. Um, and because my friend Laura had them and said they were fantastic. And so I, f- I found a set on um, sale over the summer and I bought them. And now, and it's not just that I love the headphones. So this is, it's become a whole thing. So what I've been doing is I put the headphones on right after dinner and I go into the kitchen and I do dishes. And normally a thing that has made me so frustrated and, and cranky doing dishes and cleaning the kitchen every night because it never ends. Um, (laughs) I now actually look forward to it because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm either listening to a playlist that is all these songs I love or I've been kind of doing some deep dives on new new bands or new to me musical groups. And so they're, you know, for like 15 minutes, it just I just listen in my with my headphones on. I dance around the kitchen, I do the dishes, and then at the end, I feel good because I've been listening to this great music and my kitchen is clean, so I'm not stressed out about that. And I don't feel I just don't feel resentful of everybody else in my family. I, I feel better about it all. And so um, I also wanted to share some of the, the deep dives I've been doing with bands. So um, wait a minute, more double uh, dipping. I know. It's because I can't, I can't, but I just wanted to share it. Like I won't go into I'm teasing because I always do it. I'm always doing it. Go for it. We want to hear about it. Uh, one is um, Becky G, who um, be- I was introduced to because of our friend Brandy. We watched a, a concert, um, a, a K-pop concert, and um, Becky G was a guest on it. It was actually, um, it wasn't a K-pop concert. It really was, it was uh, Lollapalooza. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, Becky G is a Latina Spanish um, language rapper and singer, and her stuff is fantastic. And I love listening to music in Spanish. Um, the Mystery Skulls is actually a DJ um, who does a lot of collaborative work, and the the it's kind of like a halfway between rock and uh, electric pop, and really good upbeat music for cleaning. Connell Cruz is a South African singer songwriter, um, and he uses some kind of African beats and a lot of piano. Um, and then Magic Giant is this band from California that just makes me happy like I just am happy to listen to them so yeah we're um, gonna have to put all these I will yeah yeah um but the the best part is I listen to my headphones and I can't hear anybody else (laughs) that's great wait why are you wearing the headphones now oh because they don't have a mic they're they're bluetooth uh, I at least I don't maybe they do I actually haven't looked at it I mean mine don't have a mic I use my snowball oh I guess I could do that but they're yeah I didn't even think about that so if you love them. I do. I do. Um, they're, <laughs> or since you love them, I should say. I really just think of them as a music listening mm-hmm. device. Um, and, and actually, it kind of makes me feel like I'm in high school again because I had these big over-ear headphones where I would listen to music and just block out all the people 
Um, and so it's just a callback to that. I never really thought about integrating them into work. I think it is that, uh, well, it's two things. It's habit stacking, yes. which I've heard of yes. and I try to do because it does make things better. And that's just, you know, if you can combine sort of more of a chore with something else that's maybe a little more pleasurable. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine like doing really any kind of cleaning without listening to something, whether it's music or a podcast or an audiobook. I I actually like to joke that I just should not be left alone with my own thoughts. Well, yes, that's <laughs> part of it. Because I just especially when I'm doing something I don't like, it just makes me frustrated. You just are thinking about how much you don't like it, you know. Exactly. Like, I used to listen to music through our house robot. But in the after dinner hour, my family tends to still be around on the same floor as the kitchen and they're doing things. So they don't want to listen to the music I'm listening to. And I'd have to make it really loud to be able to hear it in the kitchen. So having the headphones and actually also having the ability to block out everybody else is really a big part of it. You're quiet quitting uh, the rest of your family when I you am. listen to your, your headphones. Yeah, I like it. So what have you loved? What are you loving? Oh, so, well, I love taco cat goat cheese pizza. <laughs> I love that game. I tried to trick you into think. I was just going to say tacos. Or taco cat. Well, it's true. I love all those things. Tacos, cats, goats, cheese, and pizza. And I have a cat named Taco, and we refer to her as Taco Cat because at the vet, they call her Taco Cat. So that just kind of always cracks us up. Uh, But (laughs) anyway, yes, so I love all those things. I had to find out more about this game. It is a card game. It is. And I may have heard of it through, um, there's a, a woman I follow on TikTok that reviews games. Oh, cool. And she does a lot of, yeah. And I'll link to her account because um, just for fun, I don't remember if that's where I heard about it. You know, it just kind of kept popping up. You might've heard about it from me. Yeah. It might've been you, might've been an ad. I do like to find game reviews, especially for like two people games. This is not, by the way. No. I mean, you could, but it's more fun with a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think my box is um, eight, uh, not ages, <laughs> three to eight players. Um, ages, I think is actually could be pretty flexible too. Um, basically, each person takes a turn flipping a card and face up in the middle of the, like the table or wherever you're playing. And while you're saying and taking turns saying taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. So you know, you just kind of go around in your circle. And if the card matches the word that's been spoken, everyone sort of slaps their hand on that card. And whoever's last kind of loses, quote, loses that round, has to take all the cards. And then the person who gets rid of all their cards first is the winner. And so that probably sounds like really basic and dumb, but it's not. It's really... um, It is hysterical. It is really funny. Uh, I brought it to um, a beer garden and we went to with a few friends and I don't think I had laughed so much in so long. I mean, I know that it's like still kind of like people not going out and getting together and stuff like that, but I really was like, how have I not laughed this much? for for so long and you get kind of like tongue-tied and there are these special cards and where you have to like everyone has to do a thing but it's not like a really bad embarrassing thing (laughs) yeah or, or difficult like there's a gorilla card and you have to beat your chest and all the cards are so cute like the pictures on them are so adorable that really adds to it but here's the sad thing so I bought the game finally I've been wanting to try it for a while Realize it's not a two people game, so I couldn't play it with just my husband at home. <laughs> so I finally, you know, I'm getting together with friends and like finally going to get to play it and we love it. Everyone loved it. And you didn't have any children with you. Didn't have any kids. It was all adults. And we were in a beer garden, but we weren't no, like. but I love that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We were just like hanging out. And um, I lost my deck. Like I get home, I can't find it wasn't in my friend's car maybe it's still at the beer garden maybe it's on the ground somewhere who knows oh no but i spotted a halloween version at a bookstore a halloween version yeah so i bought that because i love halloween 
And then the cat, the cat in the original game is white, but the cat in this game is black. And I have a black cat. That's not taco cat, but my other cat is a black cat. So it's like combines everything. But it, yeah, it's very, very cute. And I love Halloween. So we actually don't own a copy ourselves, but, um, but our friends slash family do. And so when we go on vacation, we play it and the kids love it too. Yeah. It's like perfect for adults. I do think like it's like for ages eight and up, but I do think younger kids could we play. We've played it with a little bit younger, sophisticated kids. I mean, the kids pick up on it much faster than the grownups actually. Yeah. It's very easy to learn. It's really, and it goes by quick. So you can play a few rounds. Um, I like games like that, especially like if you are out, it makes a great gift. It's available in a lot of places, so it's easy to get a hold of. It's not very expensive. It's under $10. And yeah, so I'd say if you like games, definitely get it for yourself. You could add it to your library collection or have it as a game for um, patrons or teens to play in your library. So yeah, check it out. And it's also just fun to say taco cat cheese. Goat Go cheese pizza. <laughs> Taco, Taco, cat, cat, goat, goat cheese, cheese pizza. pizza. For the win. Woohoo. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening today. Yeah, we love all of our listeners. So please share, tell a friend, and uh, and reach out to us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com or on Instagram at this pod is overdue. Thanks everyone and happy reading. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast is overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. That's what it sounds like. I hope not because nobody wants to listen to that.